Greetings and welcome to Take Back Our Schools. I'm Beth Feely here with my co-host, Andrew Gutman, and we're two accidental activist parents who woke up and spoke out about issues in our children's schools. And here we tackle those issues as well as some solutions. So a few years ago, a Brown University professor was basically run off campus for suggesting that there is a social contagion element to the present trend, especially among teenage girls, to question whether they are a boy or girl. And today we have with us a mom who fought back against this transgender trend to protect her daughter and is now leading the charge for others through advocacy and legislative solutions. Erin Friday is a California mom and attorney with 20 years of experience and now co-leads the U.S. Western branch of Our Duty, an international coalition of nonpartisan parents and allies advocating for safeguarding of minors and young adults against transgender ideology. And she leads the local branch of Parents of Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoric Kids. So welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start with your story and in particular with your daughter um, and what happened after she was exposed to this transgender ideology? Um, Could you tell us what happened? Uh, My daughter was first exposed to gender ideology probably in in seventh grade. That's as far back as I can uh, determine uh, during a sex education course at her public school. What happened was the public school hires a third party to come in and teach the sex ed curriculum. And it is now a five-hour event. It's an hour a day for five days, and there's a whole entire hour spent on uh, gender identity. And what I learned after she had taken the course is that, you know, they use the genderbred person. Um, you know, now it's, I, I think it's a, um, a unicorn to make it even cuter and more appealing to kids. Um, but they teach, you know, they have these cute little pictorials. They teach uh, that a female could have a female body and a male brain. Um, they teach um, that you could be born in the wrong body. And they have a video with a little kid, um, you know, a little kid who identifies as being trans to make it, you know, more concrete for the students to believe that this is actually um, bio- biologically true. And so that was seventh grade. And Can I stop you for one second, just, just a curiosity. Did you know this was happening ahead of time? Did the school warn the parents that this was going to be happening or give you any indication of the curriculum ahead of time? Well, what they do in the beginning of the school year is, is, uh, you sign off that your child can take this sex ed curriculum. Mm-hmm. Now I was really trustful of my school because I volunteered hours at the school. I raised money. I ran some of the largest um, events at the school. I was, you know, personal friends with teachers. The the principal, I didn't think for a second that I actually needed to check to see what they were teaching. I thought it was going to be, you know, similar to what my son had learned. Um, And that was a huge mistake on my part. Um, I trusted the school as, you know, we used to be able to do sure. that. Yeah. Oh, and what year are we talking that this, that this week-long uh, effort happened? 2017, 18. Okay. And then also how many years between your son and daughter, just out of curiosity? Two. Okay. So it changed. So something had changed. It sounds like. It's been changing year after year. So when I go and look at the school curriculum, you can see that every year it gets deeper into the gender ideology. It gets deeper into, I would say, fetish sexual behavior also. So it was very staggered. They were they were very smart in um, doing incremental changes so that parents weren't alerted to Uh, the things that they're teaching our kids. I mean, you know, at this point, what they're teaching our, our, our children and the pictures that they show are obscene. They are, you know, tantamount to porn. Um, There's no need to teach this to seventh graders who incidentally it's illegal for them to be engaging in sexual behavior. Um, There's no necessity to teach a lot of these um, sexual acts that um, may or may not be performed by them in adulthood, because many of them, like I said, 
uh, can be fetish. So that was the beginning of, you know, my eyes were, were pretty opened um, in, you know, after this seventh grade curriculum. And I was only alerted really because um, all of my daughter's friends came to my house that Friday and uh, they all picked a different label on the alphabet. Hmm. And uh, that was my first inkling, like, wow, <laughs> what are did they you, Did you talk them? to other parents about this at the time? I mean, are you, you know, friends of your daughters? I mean, did, did, are you aware that any other parents had, if not objections, at least questions about what was going on? I was really surprised to find out that they didn't. And when I went to the parenting course uh, following, you know, my my daughter's indoctrination into this, I sat in a classroom with a bunch of parents and leads of Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and uh, teachers. And, um, you know, we were we were hearing what I believe our kids were hearing at school and I was the only one questioning these instructors about what they were stating. And I was you know, surprised by that. I'm looking around the room going like, oh, my gosh, like, is no one else listening to this and, and hearing yeah. how nonsensical this is and how horrible this is and um, and that this is a big fat lie? <laughs> I mean, they were saying things like you, you know, you're either Barbie or, or G.I. Joe. I mean, literally, that's what they said. You are either Barbie or G.I. Joe. That is nuts. So then you're you're a, you're in the spectrum if you're not G.I. Joe or Barbie, which is everyone. Right. Every, everyone is trans. I've also always been confused by somehow they call them immutable characteristics, yet they are totally fluid. Like I've never uh, been yes. able to to make sense of that and, and, you know, have, have you? <laughs> well, they, they changed the language a lot. So back in 2018, 17, um, 19, they were using the term fluidity and, and we'll, we actually see it in some of our laws. Uh, they use the term fluid. And so they say gender is fluid. And that this is, this is the way that they are able to then say, well, little kids can be uh, trans identified. And then little kids can, uh, be fine in their, in their, you know, biological sex bodies, but when they go to puberty, then it changes then. So that's the fluidity or it happens when they're 25. And so they use the language to come to a conclusion that, uh, doesn't make any sense. So is it fluid? And then if it's fluid, because then of course we all argue back, well, if it's fluid, why would we cut off body parts if it's going to change? So now the new language is essentially that it's fluid, but once it hits on trans, then it's static. So you can see how that works. Um, that's how they can then justify the surgeries and the irreversible harms that they're going to exact on these kids. I mean, I even heard someone say, you know, somebody knows their gender identity at 18 months, 18 months. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, absurd. Yeah. And so let's, okay. So, so, okay. So your daughter takes this, these classes. Um, what happens next? Uh, so like I said, all of her friends came out, you know, something on the alphabet. Um right. And then I went to Why, but can I can, let me ask you that? Did they think it was a you know a funny to do that? Did they think it was just cool to do that? I mean, what what do you think was motivating all these girls? Do you think they were sort of indoctrinated that they have to choose something that's not just you know normal heterosexual cisgender, whatever you want to call it? I think it's a bunch of things. I think it's just you know cool. You know, okay. remember we got we when we go back to youth and, and even watching them during probably that year, they were doing the dab. Everybody like sure. did this dab thing. Everybody was doing the floss. The floss. Oh, I the floss. The floss. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. Okay. I mean, and seventh kids, grade girls are about yeah. it's that it's age just, susceptible it, to whatever peer pressure. Well, stuff. gee, it sounds a lot like a social contagion. I mean, it, it's like, it's hard not to observe that in, and it was amazing how swiftly that was just, that idea was lambasted back then. 
Um, so, so did her, I take it her behavior changed at some point after adopting this, whatever new pronoun, like, so what did she start doing? Well, she didn't, she didn't adopt the trans identity in seventh grade. She went, you know, they bounce and this is a very normal trajectory. You you can talk to, you know, a hundred parents of girls and you'll hear the same story I'm saying here is they pick something, you know, they pick, uh, you know, pansexual because pansexual means you like everyone. Well, that's a typical girl thing to do, right? Because young girls are kind and they want to be inclusive. And so they land on that. Some pick lesbian because boys are yucky. They're, you know, (laughs) they don't really necessarily know what that means, maybe. Um, But they all pick something and then they morph. They move on to kind of almost a higher level of um, getting, you know, getting closer and closer to the trans, which is the ultimate end that they go to. So they go from lesbian to pansexual, pansexual to polyamorous, polyamorous to, you know, finally landing on trans. Um, and that happens or non-binary. I've got to throw the non-binary in there too. So it's a progression and it's definitely a social contagion because all the kids come with it. I mean, we'd have young girls with long blonde hair, like almost down to the rear end saying that they're now he, hims. Um, it was cool it's cool. It's quirky. Um, also I really believe that the whole critical race theory that the kids were getting taught molds into that because there was such a push and there still is to say that, you know, you're an oppressor or you are the oppressed. And most of these kids were, and I, I don't even use the word privileged anymore. They had two parents. They never missed a meal. They had cars in their driveway. Um, and so they were dubbed as the oppressors. And these young girls don't want to be that. Right. Um, and what can you what can you identify into? You can identify into the alphabet. And mm-hmm. that makes you a victim. And thus an ally, right? I mean, really, that's it's kind of how they can participate uh, in the marginalized group world uh, and and be a good person, really. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really sad because they take some of the the greatest attributes of young girls, which is kindness and inclusiveness. Um, and, you know, and of course, their Achilles heel wanting to fit in um, and they they u- utilize that. Okay, so so okay, tell us tell us more about what happened with your daughter. You know, so so she didn't really take on the you know, the trans identity until the pandemic, which is another kind of inflection point. Okay. Um, the pandemic again to be sexist here, I'm going to be. It really hit the girls a lot harder than the boys. The boys seem to still be going out and riding their bikes and um, doing pickup games in the fields and the girls really stayed in their rooms, stayed in their homes and behind or in front of their computer screens. So how long was your schools closed for? Oh God. Uh, I'm in California a year and a half, a year. I mean, an an absurd time, given the fact that we were in a drought and we don't have any rain. These kids could have gone to school outside easily. Um, But that's, that's for another conversation. (laughs) Um, but so yeah, do you know what she was doing. So, I mean, is this social media now? Is this TikTok where she's starting to get more indoctrinated in this gender ideology? Yes. So there's TikTok, Reddit, uh, Tumblr, uh, Discord, video games, video games that are connected to the internet where you have chats with other people. I mean, there is Pinterest, you you can DM in Pinterest. It's almost every platform these kids can reach strangers, or should I say the other way around, strangers can meet, reach them. And so there's a lot of time spent online. You know, they're on online school and they may be listening to the teacher or they may be searching YouTube mm-hmm. and looking at influencers. So do you feel like she was targeted or was she kind of out there looking for this content and finding it um, 
on, on her own, I guess, what was, what was really influencing her? Was it kind of her or were people like, were, were adults online kind of picking up on the fact that here's a kid who's kind of questioning this and feeding her stuff? Both, both. So it's, it's kids who were already in deep pushing her deeper and then it's adults that then find these kids look on tiktok these these kids will show their picture they're obviously a girl and they'll say he him and and that he him is a siren to adults that this is a vulnerable young girl and they seek them out because this is a girl who is disassociating with her body or maybe and so you might be able to prey on this young girl and that happened you know, I could see that on social media. I mean, I, I I really thought I was, you know, an on mom. I, I gave the phone late in life. I didn't have video games in our house for a very long time. I checked her phone. These kids are wily. And also, I was naive in that, again, some of these platforms, I had no idea that they could reach the masses. Um, it was a full, you know, it's a full-time job to determine what your kid is, kid is looking at. Like we shouldn't have to spend our whole time. When you put an age limit on these phones, you expect that they're not going to get material that is not appropriate, uh, for under 13s, but it gets through anyway. Right. And I, I definitely want to get to how you basically cut off the phone, the internet, um, as part of your your process in extracting her from this. But first wanted to ask, what was the school? Did they continue to be involved in encouraging her? Or how did that how what was that dynamic like? So uh when she started high school, she went to a public high school. It was the pandemic. Obviously did not go to school. Uh, first day of school, apparently asked name and pronouns. This is how it starts. This opens it up. This this makes it real for these students. Oh, my teachers are asking me my name and pronoun. And so kids don't want to be boring. Uh, they want to be special. And so they take on new names and new pronouns so that they're cool. Um, and so that was the beginning. And then um, she had done some, she had to make a game uh, at this public school and it was all up, about gender identity. Uh, and at that point, well, I also found out that they had changed her name at school, changed her email um, because I you know, could see her computer. I could see what was happening. So they never told you that was happening? Oh, no. Okay. No, no, no. The parents, you know, we are the pariahs. Um, we are the last to know anything about our children because we play no important role. The school does. Um, I mean, that's what they say. When I called the school and um, really laid into them, not knowing what I was walking into, but I laid into them like, how dare you change my my daughter's name? How dare you not contact me? And their response, the rote is, we need to create a safe space. My, my kid's, you know, 20 feet away from me. What safe space are you talking about? Uh, she's right here. <laughs> um, what, and you're and her that, parent. I mean, just the assumption that somehow you are creating an unsafe space for her. I mean, it's just, it, that's mind boggling. Well, let's go, let's go back to language because language is so important. What does safe mean? That's what I asked him. I said, what does it mean? You're creating a safe space. What does that mean? And, and by extension, what does unsafe mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they didn't have it really any answers. It's just kind of the tropes of, well, we need right. to be a safe space. We They're just repeating. Space. Yeah, no, I think that's so. Did your relationship with your daughter change? I mean, obviously, look, I mean, middle school age kids, daughters, girls going through puberty. I mean, it always is going to change. But I mean, did you feel it changing more than 
more than the normal kind of mother-daughter changes that would happen at that age? Yes. Yes. Um, and you're right. You know, there's a, there's a pushing away of the parent during adolescence and that's normal. My son did the same thing. Um, you know, they love you and then they, they want to be away from you. I, I get that, that those are all normal things. Um, but once my daughter took on the trans identity, which happened in, in the ninth grade. I'm oh, sorry. I, how did you find out about that? Just out of curiosity. The she school. told you, the school told you the school. Okay. The, the school. Okay. Um, and she made an announcement. So that, she made an announcement at the school or she made an announcement to you at home. She made an announcement at home. Uh, the right as right as ninth grade was starting. Okay. And I was just wondering, did what what was happening? Was she she was dressing differently? She was asking you to use different names or pronouns. Like, what was she asking of you at home? So eighth eighth grade was the when the pandemic started. March, I think, is when we started lockdown. It was almost from that point forward that that she started to get darker and darker. Mm -hmm. It maybe started a few months prior to where she started to cover up her body. Did she use um, a binder? Like was she doing? No, not like then. That? Okay. Not then, but she wore, you know, big bulky clothes. Um, didn't want to show her, her figure anymore. Didn't want to, uh, I mean, she actually wore a bathing suit before ninth grade, but um, just very much covering up her, her, her curves and her body. And I didn't think much of it. I did the same thing. As my body started to change, I wasn't comfortable yet with, with getting hips and, and breasts and all of that. And so I would wear giant clothes and, you know, you didn't want the male gaze. And so you would, you would hide. Some girls hide, some girls show off, but it's, that's a very, I didn't think anything of it. It's a very normal adolescent thing to do. Um, so she started to do that. She started to, um, she wanted her haircut, but you know, a haircut doesn't make a girl or a boy. So I didn't think anything of this stuff except, okay, she's uncomfortable in her body. I did the same thing. Ninth grade, we had to do a swim class at um, our school and I got a doctor's note. So I didn't have to put a, on a bathing suit in front of the boys. Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, just feeling, yeah, preteen girls, teenage girls, it's, it's a, very difficult time. Um, and it seems like we're, you know, we're, we're taking those very normal feelings and we are giving, this gives them kind of some sort of antidote to that or some sort of, of, uh, you know, a way of feeling better about themselves supposedly. And it's just as, um, it, it, it's not true. And it's something that just is tragic. What is, um, so when did you hit your limit? When, what, when did you just say, this is, this is over and I've got to, I've got to save her. Uh, well, that happened when, I guess, again, in, in ninth grade, when she she got really dark, she got really depressed. Um, you feel like your your child has disappeared in front of your eyes. They become really mean, um, hateful, unloving, uh, unrecognizable. I mean, my daughter was a very sweet kid. Um and I knew something, something was influencing her because her personality changed uh, entirely. And, you know, so the, the gender identity piece made her depressed, anxious, um, angry. And anger for kids is a sign of depression. That's how they show it. Um, and that was, you know, it's a bitter pill to swallow, right? When your child is being so harsh towards you, but you have to understand that that's, that's a sign of, you know, their deep depression, the distress that she felt was enormous. So it's as if, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. These kids glum onto this gender identity, and then it's a terrifying thing that they've just done. And they are taught, they are taught to hate their parents. And the schools have a lot to do with that because, again, the schools are triangulating the relationship among the child, the teacher, and the parent. And nothing is more cruel than to tell a child that their parent doesn't love them. 
and that their parent is not supporting. And that's essentially what the schools are doing when they are keeping secrets. It's destabilizing them, really. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's uh, it's severe. And the internet people, the social media people, they're saying the same thing. They're telling, they're telling this child to forget their childhood and the love that they had from their parents. It's very cult-like. We'll be back with more Take Back Our Schools right after this. Hey, James Lollix here for the Rick Shea Flagship Podcast. You know, it's almost March. It's going to be March. It's going to be March for an awful long time. How to keep yourself interested, stimulated, and intellectually aware during that month? Well, the Ricochet Podcast, the Flagship Podcast, is, of course, where you can find a variety of guests and conversation that you can't find anyplace else because it's on Ricochet, and Ricochet is no place like anyplace else. That goes for March, for April, for June, July, for August. So one thing that you did was you basically, well, you got her out. Um, can you tell us how you did that? Um, y- yes, I can. I don't know what was effective and what wasn't effective. I just decided that I knew where the end was going to re- result, that my daughter would end up being um, sterile and with her breasts removed and probably detransitioning at the age of 25. So I threw everything at it. I, um, I took the phone. Um, first I tried to get everything off the phone, which I was somewhat successful. Uh, I got it down to being a phone and the ability to text. And then I tied the texting to my computer so I could read everything. Um, I took, you know, I mean, she's a smart kid. She found like the old iPhone fours stuck in the, you know, junk drawer and, you know, re reconfigured that and would get on, um, you know, I went through the house and just pulled every iPad, um, Kindle, any kind of um, electronic, and I bought a safe and I threw them in there. Um, and that was a really, really hard time. I mean, taking social media from a child during the ta- pandemic is cutting them off. Uh, but I looked at this as, um, she's a drug addict. This is how, you know, my mindset was, um, what would I do? I would, I would hide the cocaine. Mm -hmm. I would throw it out. Um, and so I took the most important piece and I got rid of it. And then I, um, I did a, you know, I, I have a, a good family unit and, um, uncles and aunts and they, you know, we went on trips to go see them, um, getting her away from the friend group that had influenced her, getting her around people who truly love her, reminding her of the love of family. And nobody was buying into the, you know, trans identity. They treated her as her. Um, so that was, I think, really important. Um, I got her a good psychiatrist out of state which was a feat in and of itself because every therapist in California affirms I left all my gender critical books all over the house. I made it really clear. Mom and dad do not believe in this. I let her know that I am protesting against gender ideology. I left my signs out. Um, I had you know, lesbian friends come over that are very apparently butch lesbians. So she can see mom's not a homophobe. Um, I, uh, I sent her on camp trips, which you can't do anymore because they're all captured, but I sent her to camps that, um, where she had to use her body, her female body in a, you know, a strong way to teach her how amazing it is to be a woman. 
So I did that. Um, and I had a lot of kind of sideways conversations with her. I think it's a mistake not to have conversations with your kid and to think that, you know, an hour with a psychiatrist is going to fix everything. It doesn't happen that way. It's a long process. It is a difficult process. Um, it's a 24 hour, seven days a week process. Sounds like you acted like her loving mother. I mean, and that takes a lot of courage to do what you did. I think a lot of parents are scared that they would, that they would somehow lose their child forever. And, um, and you didn't, did you have a support group like helping you through this or was it kind of you? Well, there are, there are parent support groups. So I would talk to other parents, um, but no, you really do this alone. You know, you 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 have to do it alone with family, uh, and you you have to believe. This is really important. You have to believe that those six months or that year where your child is telling you that they hate you, you have to believe that they're going to come back because they do. They will eventually thank you for saving them. They will eventually understand that their parent loved them so much that they would take the hate. And that's our job as parents. We don't have to be best friends with our kids when they're teenagers. In fact, we shouldn't. It's a mistake. Our generation raising kids are the first generation who are raising kids against the internet. And so we have to be stronger. We have to set boundaries and we have to follow through. And it's hard. I didn't always, I wasn't always successful, but I just kept at it. I'd say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do better. You just have to, you, you have to be comfortable with the fact that your child hates you at the moment. So where, one last question and on, on your daughter, and, and then I want to we'll talk a little bit about your advocacy work now, but where is she now? I mean, I mean, does she recognize what she went through? Does she recognize what you went through? Does she now appreciate, you know, how, the, the situation? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how long it took and, yeah, and the so outcome? She's, a, she's still a teenager. She's still young. Uh, so her understanding of what the, the bullet she dodged, she doesn't quite understand that she may still even believe that, you know, in in trans ideology, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. I do know that she doesn't want to talk about it at all with me. Um, she is, she understands that, uh, I advocate for it. She sees my signs. She gets it every once in a while. She'll ask a question about it. Um, two weeks ago, she, two weeks ago, I mean, this is amazing. It's going to make me cry. She, she said, thank you. Wow. And and I, I um, didn't think that was going to happen for a few more years. Um, but she did say thank you. Is she still uh, in the same school? No. <laughs> no, no I pulled her from that public school as, as soon okay. as they, they changed her name. But, you know, it wasn't much better. Um, Private okay. school does the does does the same thing. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we know. And is it important for parents to know that this is a long process? It's just not something that goes away overnight. Um, and then, and what do you do for strength? Uh, well, it is a long process. Yeah, it is. It is. It it took a year and a half to to get her back. Um, and I still sleep with one eye open because. She's still a teenager. And this pull, this gender ideology is everywhere. Um, and these kids do boomerang because it's, you know, it's a, it's when they're under stress, they may go back to that as an elixir. Um, but as far as what I did for strength, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just didn't have a choice. To me, I didn't have a choice. I could either 
watch my daughter die by a thousand cuts, which I really thought that's what I was watching. I mean, I'll admit I, uh, I held the pills in my hand for me because it was really, really hard to watch your child disappear in front of your eyes and almost have the world cheering her on. Yeah. I mean, it must've felt like the whole world is against you yes. for parents in this situation. I mean, which is an awful way to feel. Have you, have you let her back on social media and phones or is it? Yes. Yes. She is back on uh, social media. I monitor it. Um, You know, there's, (laughs) it's really hard because there has to be some kind of trust built back. Um, You cannot be on your child 24 seven. You cannot stop the internet. Mm -hmm. They go to school with iPads. Right. There's no way to block this unless you go off the grid. So at, at some point you have to, I mean, maybe you don't have to, but um, they, they need, they need to be connected with their friends via their phone. These kids don't even text anymore, right? They don't eat, they don't pick up the phone and have phone calls, but I definitely monitor it. And now I know the signs of my child going in the rabbit hole. I would have been quicker to nip this in the bud had I known the signs. Mm-hmm. So now you're well, an advocate yeah. and helping others. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, your your experience in must be incredibly helpful to other parents going through this. Can you talk a little bit about how you decided to you know, enter this advocacy world? Yeah. So I did, I don't want any parents to ever go through what we went through. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy and I would love to be able to walk away um, and, and go back to my regular life. Uh, but you can't, um, once you see this, you, you can't unsee and um, to stay silent is to be complicit. Um, I think I have a voice because I, I'm also a Democrat. Um, Democrat of 37 years. And, uh, you know, they like to cast this as a partisan issue. It's not. Uh, So I keep, you know, pushing that there's a bunch of Democrats who are against this. Um, The the lawmakers aren't listening to us, but there's thousands of us. We're we're switching parties. We're voting for Republicans. we're advocating. So part of the things that I do is um, I oppose bills in California. I support bills in California. I write bills in California. I support bills in other states. My whole group does. We've got a we've got a team of parents who um, go to rallies, who write letters, uh, who write articles, who support each other. I find attorneys for parents who are willing to sue, which I encourage all of them, sue those schools. Sue them for indoctrinating your kids. Um, I help with detransitioners, finding um, lawyers to take their cases and writing bills to benefit them. So we do a lot. There's a Have lot you- to be done. Sorry to interrupt. Do you are you finding that more and more people are willing to speak out? Um, is it easier to get people to kind of join publicly, or do you still get a lot of look? I'm really for, I'm really for you. I'm in your corner, but I just can't say anything. Two years ago, it was very difficult to get anyone to stand up, including myself. I used a pseudonym. Uh, now more and more people are standing up, and it's kind of really fun to watch when I get a new parent that that comes to Sacramento and goes up to the microphone once they do it once they are now a soldier and they want to do it again and again and again because they feel like they are part of the solution and they need to be part of the solution 
they can't cancel us all. Mm-hmm. They can't fire us all. We are the silent majority. There are our numbers are huge against this. And so we all need to stand up. Courage begets courage. Absolutely uh, those, agree. Yeah, that that it's empowering personally. I mean, I think just the growth that you see and feel as a person once you are not hiding in the shadows and pretending like this is someone else's problem or that it will just go away if we just ignore it for long enough. Um, I think that uh, I've, I've seen the same thing happen. So that's good to hear. Yeah, I, I tell the I tell the people like there's no white knight coming in to save us. Yeah. We are it. That's what we said on here before. There is no cavalry. You are the cavalry. Right. Do you feel like you're making progress in California? Yes, I actually do. As crazy as that sounds, but I, I can't reveal it yet. But you will you will see some things that will start changing uh, California. And, and we have to have the fight here in California. Mm-hmm. And I know people write off California as there's no way. Just forget them. They're a bunch of, you know, nuts. Um but we started it. We need to end it here. Yeah. And Any- if you can do it there, I mean, I think just because of how egregious some of the laws are, then then there's hope for other places. I live in Illinois where we have, we are not too far behind California, I think. And um, so it would be great to get some wins that that other people can can build off of. So, um, okay. So you can't tell us some specifics. Are there Are there one or two in the past that you'd like to highlight? Well, there's three lawsuits that have been filed in California. Uh, two from, well, actually all from parents. And I suspect there's going to, actually now there's four lawsuits. I suspect those lawsuits are going to continue, you know, to increase. I have lawyers who are reaching out that want to file, um, you know, lawsuits. They're looking for the plaintiffs. They'll call me. Uh, so. You know, I want the shark attorneys involved because there's there's going to be money to be made. Look, these doctors need to be held to account. Uh, they can't claim uh, that they didn't know. They know. They know what's happening in Europe. They know that they have stopped puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones on minors in three different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can't claim that. But there's going to be a cascade of lawsuits. Uh, you know, every parent, even if your child is not caught in this web, can file a lawsuit mm-hmm. because my goodness, That's- look at what your kids are being le- being taught at school. Look at that sex ed curriculum. Now it's 10 hours long. Do you think lawsuits are probably the the quickest path to defeating this versus trying to change institutions from within and convince schools that they're not doing the right thing? Like, do you think that that lawsuits, legislation, um, that that route is is a good place to invest your time and your energy? I think we have to have everyone shooting at the monster at the same time from different angles. So people need to start running for school board. That's a really important place to start. If you are gender critical, run for school board, regardless of your party affiliation. Start changing it at the schools. We need to stop the spigot there. Um, we are we are going to have a 20-year tail on this, like the opioid crisis, because kindergartners, you know, and, and TK, four-year-olds, are being taught that they can change sex. So we need to stop it at the schools, school board, run for school board, be at that school. Uh, we need to have um, the lawsuits. We need to have people call their legislators especially Democrats, pick up that phone, call that legislator and say, no, I don't want my daughter in a bathroom with a male body. Um, those things matter. We need people to come to rallies. All of this stuff matters. Write op-eds, write comments. I mean, this is, you know, all of these things sound trivial, but when the New York Times writes an article about gender, write a comment. Those comments then 
give the newspaper the ability to write another story because they're afraid too. I mean, everyone, I don't understand why people are so afraid. These people are monsters. We're talking about children. How are you afraid to protect children? They are the most vulnerable people on the planet. Children, young adults with autism, young adults with mental health. These people need our help. How can you be afraid? Yeah, well said. What, what, one last question on children. Obviously, there's more resources for parents. Are, are there any support groups for children like your daughter that have gone through this, whether they're you know fully detransitioning in the process? I mean, are you aware of any uh, groups for you know for the children, girls especially? That's such a great idea. No, but I, I love that idea. I love that idea. But no, there's no support groups for these kids. Um, and in fact, you know, kids who are gender critical sometimes hide it. Yeah. Uh, they go along to get along, but that's starting to change too. Um, I hear high school kids uh, talk about this and they make fun of the pronouns. Now um, I've been interviewed by a local high school uh, about, you know, gender. They, they actually don't understand it. They don't know that you're 19 times more likely to commit suicide after you transition. They don't know these things. So we really need to get in the schools, you know, in the same way that the trans activists got into the schools. We need to have, you know, talks in -hmm. front of the school boards, in front of the students to show them that there's another way. And really show up informed, like equip yourself with facts. Um, I know at the Our Duty website, they have a lot of good resources because I think a lot of times they throw around these studies. Um, For example, the one that says, oh, your kid is going to commit suicide unless you let them transition, which is not true. That that study is full of thought of of, uh, flaws. But yet if people don't know that and, uh, you know, how are they able to refute it? Yeah, I mean the the suicide the, the the suicide usage is is just unbelievable, and that that it convinces teachers that they're doing the right thing, it convinces doctors that they're doing the right thing, but nobody reads the study. You're right; you need to read the studies. Um, most of these studies come out with a conclusion, and they back in the evidence to reach it. I mean, even the Dutch the Dutch model which started this whole thing for kids, you know, is being ripped apart right now. Um, It was funded by a puberty blocker uh, pharmaceutical company. Um, They hid data, uh, but people don't want to take the time to actually understand, you know, they conflate the gay being gay with being trans completely different animals. Mm -hmm. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you for coming on Take Back Our Schools. This was probably the most powerful conversation I think we've had. Um, And so to talk about, I know it's difficult to talk about what you went through with your daughter, but we're very thankful that you shared your story. And we are very thankful for all the advocacy work that you are doing now in helping other parents uh, that are going through what you went through or to avoid going through what you went through. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm going to give a plug. March March 12th is Detransition Awareness Day. Go to the R Duty website or go to detransawareness.org okay. and find out how you can support detransitioners. It's really important. Their voices are the voices that are changing this. So we need to give back to them. So detransawareness.org. Yeah, okay, well, well, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. And R Duty, is what's the website for? Our duty? Our duty.group. Okay. Our duty.group. Okay. We'll link to that too. Well, thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. That was a powerful conversation. I don't think wow. we need to do too much of a wrap up, but uh, I mean, she was emotional. Agreed. And I think we were all getting emotional listening to her story. 
I, yeah, I got chills a couple of times. I just, it is, um, part of what's so powerful is, is her taking the pain and the struggle of what happened in her family and putting it to greater purpose and hoping to help other families that are navigating yeah. this. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't sound like it's over. Um, I was know, just going to say that being I... out and, and with any of our kids being out in the world, I mean, this is, this is out there. You cannot control everything that influences them. You have to yeah. teach them well and love them. Um, and that really came through, uh, the, the love that she has for her daughter. I mean, that is, uh, that was really inspiring. Agreed. Agreed. But I, I, I think, you know, the thing we, we mentioned at the very end, which is we need more support for these kids. We do that now is a great idea. Um, and we need parents not to be best friends with their kids, to have the courage to, to put those boundaries down that they so de- desperately need. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So well, I encourage everybody. Yeah. Well, uh, to check out what she mentioned at the end there, March 12th, um, the detransition day. And cause those really are the powerful stories of the people that have gone down this road, um, only to say it was a mistake. And, you know, hopefully that will also prevent some other families, the pain right. uh, that this is inflicting. And I'm pleased to hear that she's optimistic that they're making progress in a state like California. Yes. That's yes, a good hope- sign. Hope, hope for it us all. It does give hope. Okay, so we're not. We end. We end, it was a tough. I mean, we a, a tough. I mean, it's a terrific episode. Yeah. We end on an optimistic note. Then, so on uh, behalf of my co-host Beth Feely, I'm Andrew Gutman. We hope you liked what you heard. Please review us and rate us and share us and subscribe. And we will be back soon for another episode of Take Back Our Schools. Ricochet. Join the conversation.